Our Old Testament reading this morning is from 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. And uh, if you've ever wondered if God might call two people at the same time and in the same place to do two different things, well, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 15, where we hear about Elijah and Obadiah and how they are called uh, to very different ministries during Ahab's rule. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and Lord, we do thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, that in the midst of all of the uh, noise and commotion and words and words and words, Lord, give us ears for your word. Lord, we pray that you would Help us to tune out the distractions and tune in to you. Lord, this morning, help us to hear your word. Help us to receive it. Help us to live it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Kings 18, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now, the famine was severe in Samaria and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land that they were to cover. Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, is it really you, my lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong? Asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here? I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet... I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here? He will kill me. Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. In case you don't know the rest of that story, he does present himself. Our New Testament reading is 1 John 2, 28, uh, and going on through chapter 3, verse 3. John writes, And now, dear children, continue in him, 
so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. This is the word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. You know this is how the whole Bible begins, right? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) You know that beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You know this one? That is how John opens his gospel, and it's a very memorable beginning, and it ties it straight to the beginning of the Bible. But beginnings matter. So do endings. John opens his, uh, his gospel in this telling of the good news, in a really memorable way. And yet, when we get to the end, I think sometimes people see it as though he just sort of fizzled out. Like, yeah, I had a good start. It was a really good start, a great middle, and then at the end, I don't know. I think that misunderstands. The beginning is masterful. The, be- you know, the middle, all the way through, hopefully you've been able to see as we've gone through this gospel, is masterful in the way that he tells of who Jesus is so that people who can't see it can see it. And his ending is also masterful. (laughs) And that's what we get to look at today. We have been in the Gospel of John for quite some time. And this morning, we are looking at the very end of of his Gospel and how he brings the whole thing to a close. And I hope, uh, hope by the end, whether or not you recognize how masterful it is, I hope you get the point. (laughs) So that's where we're going Uh, this morning. This starts in verse 20 of John chapter 21. Here's how he ends the telling of the good news of Jesus. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die, but Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. 
And so the story ends. So what is the point? Well, let's go through the story. In uh, setting the scene, this is where the disciples are on the beach. This is just after Jesus has been raised from the dead. This is the third time he's appeared to the disciples, and it's right after another miraculous catch of fish. They hadn't caught any fish all night, and he comes to them, throws their net over on the other side. They throw their net over. They catch so many fish, they can't even uh, haul them in without the nets starting to break. And they're coming in. Peter gets to Jesus first. They all get in there on the beach. Jesus is cooking breakfast for them. This is the scene. This is where Jesus then goes over with Peter. Uh, the, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Restoring him into a relationship with Jesus that had been broken by Peter's own betrayal of Jesus the night of Jesus' arrest. When three times he denies him. And now three times Jesus gives him the opportunity to affirm his love for him. Bringing him right back in. And then, breakfast over. We start to walk along the edge of the Sea of Galilee. Very similar to how things all began. And Peter turns and sees John. John doesn't refer to himself by name. He always has these uh, other things. The disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned back against him at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? It's John. So Peter turns around, he sees John, and he says, well, Lord, what about him? And what do we think? Is that a fair question? Or is it out of line? I think it depends on how we take it. Because I think it would be easy to take Jesus' answer of saying, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. As a way of saying, mind your own business, don't worry about anybody else. Kind of how it sounds, isn't it? Mind your own business. Don't worry about anybody else. Unfortunately, what that, can, that interpretation can lead to is like Cain saying, am I my brother's keeper? It's a way of isolating ourselves from the relationships we're called to, where we are to care about and for those around us. And so if we're taking this as a just ignore the other people, <laughs> we're missing the whole message. then what is it? This is an old deflection tactic, is what it is. This is what is known in literature as a red herring. Familiar with that term? The red herring, it's an intentional distraction. And so if you have like a mystery story and the author does not want you to figure out who uh, the actual... Um, person is who's causing the problems. They don't want you to figure this out, so what do they do? They steer you in some other direction, giving you false clues. So you kind of follow that trail instead, and then at the end, they do the big reveal, and you're like, oh, how did I miss it? Well, because they had distracted you with something else. That's on purpose. Children do this too. And so we do things like, hey, I mean, maybe you did this as a child. I know I did. Um, hey, you need to wash the dishes. Well, what about my brother? <laughs> what does he need to do? Not the point, right? 
you need to wash the dishes. Or it's time to go to bed, it's time to go to sleep. How many stars do you think there are? No, it's time to go to sleep. But like more than a million, do you think? No, it's time to go to sleep. (laughs) Questions like that. A question about how many stars there are is totally fine. Unless the point is not to know about the stars. If the point is a distraction from what they're supposed to be doing, it becomes a red herring. This is the problem with what Peter is doing. Uh, Here's how we know this. When it says Peter turned and saw the disciple Jesus loved and asked, what had happened right before Peter turns and asks this question? I mean, immediately before. Jesus had just told Peter some hard things about what he was going to face in his life. Of people leading him where he didn't want to go, to do things he didn't want to do. And it says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. And then Peter turned. <laughs> do you hear the language? This is masterful. That as uh, John is writing it, he gets it. That Peter hears the command, follow me. And Peter's in- instinctive initial reaction, instead of going, all right, here we go. Eyes straight ahead, let's go. Jesus says, follow me, Peter turned. (laughs) You get it? Follow me, Peter turned. The question is not a question that is um, for the good of John. The question is not a question that is for the good of Peter. The question is not a question that is for the good of anybody. The question is a red herring, it's a distraction, because Peter... I'm sure he wants to take the next step. It's a distraction. And here's the thing. This is the point for us. Curiosity is fine. However, you know the saying, curiosity killed the cat. (laughs) Curiosity can kill the disciple if it takes our eyes off of Jesus and what it means for us to follow him today. This is why Jesus comes back to Peter and says, why don't, why don't we just refresh and review who's in charge here? If I want him to remain until I... That's, that's my job, not yours. Let me worry about that, not you. Here's what you need to, here's what you need to do. Follow me. Now, The question Peter asks, Lord, what about him? Is that one we ask today? Oh, you betcha. (laughs) And in so many different forms and fashions, this whole red herring technique, I believe, really is one of the uh, tools and strategies of the evil one who is seeking to get us to turn instead of follow. Jesus says, follow me. And yet we hear this, well, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? Just throw out a few of them. We'll fill in the blank. Lord, what about blank? Or what about my family? I mean, I can't, what about, what about my friends? What about people who are just mean? (laughs) 
What about the stuff I see on the news? What about the stuff I see on social media? What about the government? What about the weather? What about the future? What about the pandemic? What about people who don't see things like I do? What about people who don't think like I do? What about people who don't vote like I do? What about my job? What about my health? What about my past? What about my future? It's not that these are not questions that could be asked. In the same way that Peter is to care about John, but all too often these get used against us to take us off track. They become red herrings in our lives, and we say, I can't follow you until I get this other thing figured out. Right? Does it sound like where we live? <laughs> I can't follow you if this thing is going to be chaotic. If this thing is... And what we need to hear is Jesus saying, let me worry about that. You follow me. Whatever the answers are over there, we can get to that in time. But you follow me today, regardless of all of that. And that is the point. So here's, here's the crazy part of this. Verse 23. Jesus says this to clear things up with Peter, right? He clears it up with Peter. Follow me. That's the thing. What do people hear from it? Is that the message they hear from it? No. <laughs> Instead, this, because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. That's the disciple who's writing this. And he's like, trust me though, I got it. <laughs> I got the message. That's not what he said. And so he just repeats it. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want to, him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? John gets it. Like, no, the point of this is not that I'm going to live forever. That's not it at all. The point was, he was saying to Peter, follow me. And so even though Jesus is saying this, to be clear, to Peter, what happens? Misinformation spread among the believers. Even from these earliest of days, misinformation spread among the believers in other words, those of us who identify as Christians are still susceptible to misunderstanding Jesus. That ought to be sobering. All, it's all too easy to convince ourselves that we will you know, read through uh, something in the Bible and be like, oh, I know what that says. I know what that means. And have missed it. And have just missed it. And that's what happened to them. However, while it's sobering, it is not a cause for despair. Verse 24, John says, This is the disciple who testifies to these things, and he wrote them down, and we know that his testimony is true. So yeah, some people got this one wrong. They misunderstood. It started rumors. But the rumors didn't stop the truth. That John actually did know the truth, and he was still testifying to what the truth uh, is. And so, even though, yes, there's going to be misunderstanding, and we're all going to have our blind spots, and we're all going to have things that we think we understand that we don't, 
That's why we need each other. This is why the initial comment to Peter is not a pull away from everybody else and it's just you and me and ignore everybody else. It's not that. We do need each other. We do need to help each other to see the blind spots that we have. But we don't need to take each other's eyes off of Jesus. What we need each other for is to help one another to keep our eyes on Jesus, to continue to, as the writer of Hebrews said, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is why he says we meet together, it's to continue to do those things. Then John finishes, verse 25 saying, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. John did not give us a complete biography of Jesus, and he is telling us that. I didn't tell you everything. Come on, John, why not? Tell us everything. Because the point is not that you know everything. The point is, that you know enough, that you know enough to make an informed decision about whether or not you will follow today. That's the point. And he says, and here you go, I've given you enough to be able to make that informed decision about whether or not you will follow Jesus today. This is what he said at the end of chapter 20 as well about other things that Jesus did. He said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So what does that mean for us to follow Jesus? What does it mean for us to follow him Today, what does it mean for us to follow him as an individual? What does it mean to follow him as a church? We have, um, we sang this morning from uh, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God, and I said, you know, perfect song for these days. And part of the reason for, uh, for saying that is that it was written over 500 years ago. And when you really start paying attention to the words you're singing, yeah, some of the way that you say things is different, but the ideas could have been written today about things that we are facing today. Um, Because what it looks like to follow Jesus in 1517 and what it looks like to follow Jesus in 2020 will have superficial differences but we'll have the exact same core. And you want to put up the next slide? There is um, what we call the great commandment. When Jesus is asked about what is the greatest commandment, and Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. There's also what we call the Great Commission, where after Jesus is raised from the dead, 
Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, what is it that we're to do? Whether we're living in 1517, whether we're living in 2020, go and make disciples. Love the Lord with all our hearts. Baptize people into the body of believers. Teach people to obey Jesus and love our neighbor as ourselves. This is it. How's that going to look in 1517? Maybe a little different than in 2020. But it's that. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus as individuals. This is what it looks like to follow as a church. Um, and if you look at the left side of the screen, it's, it spells, oh, <laughs> uh, it spells first, when we arrange it a little differently to help us remember it. This is what we have as our church's mission statement, but it's nothing new. It's nothing we invented. We just put different letters to it to help us remember to keep first things first. So that when the distractions of the world, when the red herrings come in, we can identify them as such because this is what we're about. And we're about this because this is what Jesus said to be about. And we are on a mission to follow him. And so we, as a church, facilitate new relationships with Jesus. And it doesn't matter who gets elected. We can still do this. We incline our hearts to the Lord. And it doesn't matter how things in our uh, nation change over time. We can still do this. We relate to to one another in intimate community. And it doesn't matter if we all agree on every aspect of everything in our lives or not. We can still do this. To stimulate one another, to grow to maturity in Christ. And it doesn't matter uh, whether we have a great job or just lost our job, we can still do this. And we're to tend to the needs of others in love. And it doesn't matter. You fill in the blank with whatever else has uh, got you particularly worried or distracted. We can still do this. What it will look like from day to day, from season to season, from year to year, from century to century may change in what it looks like this is it. This is what we're about. We are people who have been called by Jesus. And here's, here's the thing. When John identified himself without using his name in this passage, he did it in two ways. The first way he said was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we've talked about this before of how John no longer identifies himself by the name his parents gave him. He identifies himself by the love that Jesus has for him. That's big. That's where his identity is. But there's another way that he identifies himself here that is curious, and this is where he says, this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Hmm, what's that about?
Peter had been restored to fellowship after his betrayal. Judas seems like the obvious answer when the question is asked, who's going to betray you? But once again, John knew the truth of it. They had all betrayed him. That around the table that night, there was only one person who stayed true, and that was Jesus. And so when John holds these two together, of the disciple who had leaned back and asked the question, who is going to betray you? He knows the answer is, it was me. But he also holds it together with, and yet I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. This is the good news. The one who stayed true is the one who is the king. If Peter had been the king, it would not have been good. If John had become the king, it would not have been good. If Judas had become the king, not good. Go down the list. It's Jesus, the only one who's true. So he's the one that we say, the good news is that the one person in all of human history who should be the king is the king. Is that good news? Come on. That is good news. And it is because the one person in all of human history who should be king is the king. That's why all these other things that we're talking about, we can recognize those as distractions and we can leave those in his hands. Might he call us to deal with some of those? Absolutely. Call us to do it in these ways. But the point is not to deal with those things. The point is to follow him, the one who is the true king, and the one who says, in looking at all of those other things, if I want X or Y to happen, what is that to you? You must follow me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.